0: hi and welcome back to out of office i'm your host malika kapoor this week my guest is someone who believes in the healing power of the outdoors sean gorman is the chairman of the company ll bean he's also the great grandson of its founder ll bean the man behind this iconic brand that is now over a hundred years old i spoke to sean about carrying forward his great grandfather's legacy working in the family business about lessons from the pandemic and being a steward of the environment. Here's our conversation. Sean, welcome to Out of Office.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Sean, where do you join us today from? Where are you?
1: I'm in our headquarters at L.L. Bean in Freeport, Maine.
0: In Maine, yes. Okay, great. Now, L.L. Bean is the founder of your company, but also your great-grandfather. Was there ever a doubt that you would work at LL Bean?
1: Oh wow, yes, <laughs> there was certainly a doubt. I, <laughs> I never really had any intention of of working in the company. I knew of the company as I was growing up. LL um, was my great grandfather, but no one really made that strong Bean connection because my my last name's Gorman, so. Mm-hmm. LL had two sons and a daughter. His daughter, Barbara, is my grandmother who married my grandfather, Jack Gorman. And they had three boys, one of which is my father. And my dad, uh, Jim Gorman, never worked in the business. He was an engineer and he worked for Bell Labs down in Massachusetts. So I grew up in New Hampshire. Uh, My last name was Gorman. And we didn't have a lot of connection to the bean company. My dad served on the board. But uh, there wasn't that, that really strong connection. And uh, there wasn't any push from my dad to join the company. He wanted me to be my own person and do what I wanted to do.
0: When you joined the company, you joined at an entry-level position. Isn't that right?
1: Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was at a very entry-level position when I joined the company. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about how I joined the company. So Please. When... So being, you know, the exposure that I had to LL Bean, and one of the reasons why I thought it never was a good fit for me was um, I was always kind of exposed at a young age to the the highest level people. So I'd have my uncle who was the CEO, uh, uh, different members of, of the management team, whether chief marketing officers that would come and visit my dad or talk to my dad about the business. And they were very serious people and they were doing wonderful work and they're great people. But I didn't really connect to them as much as I thought I might. And when I thought of L.L. Bean, I thought of a very focused management company with excellent leaders, most with Harvard MBAs, who um, probably wouldn't connect real well with me. And so I took a job initially out of college. I mean, my dream was to um, work on Madison Avenue. I wanted to write copy. I, I wanted to kind of fulfill this creative side of mine. I'm a highly analytic person, but I also have this really strong need for for creativity. But unfortunately, when I graduated from college uh, in the late 80s, we were in a recession and Madison Ave was closing shops and and there wasn't that opportunity there. So um, my mother who had a recent college graduate who wasn't employed was pushing me to get a job. Um, I didn't want to go to L.L. Bean. So I took a job in a sales position and I liked it. But um, I think what I found was it was not um, I wasn't really passionate about it. It was okay. And I actually made decent money. But mm-hmm. uh, I just didn't see that as my future. So I had two brothers who worked at Bean. And I talked to them about how they enjoyed it. And they both loved it. And they really highly encouraged me to join the company. So I did. And interestingly, it didn't take too long in this even in this entry-level role, where I started as an advertising analyst in the advertising department at L.L. Bean. Um, but it didn't take me long to find that the people I was working with and, and the company itself was, was something that I was very passionate about. There was a strong push at L.L. Bean to inspire and enable people to enjoy the outdoors. That was our push. That was our mm-hmm. purpose. And um, yeah, I, I really loved it. Now, I started at the bottom and I worked hard, but uh, it was working hard for something that I truly believed in. And
0: what is it like difference. to work at a company, to work your way up the ladder at a company that is actually your family business?
1: Well, um, it's interesting. My, my dad didn't discourage me from joining the company, but he wasn't encouraging me to join the company. And I may be more towards his a position of not encouraging my children to join the company and to kind of self-actualize on their own and not have something tied to you that's larger than you, this big brand. I will tell you that it was great to be a family member for getting into the business. L.L. was a highly sought after job. A lot of people wanted to work here. Uh, so I had that, that easy in, if you will, but once I was here, I had a lot of eyes on me. So it wasn't just my supervisor and my manager wondering how I'm performing or letting me know how I'm performing. I had people in HR kind of checking in with me and giving, giving uh, reports to, to my uncle who was the CEO who was curious about how the new kid was doing. So it was, it was interesting. And I will tell you honestly, um, Sometimes it's really difficult, particularly as I got higher up within management and you have uh, perhaps you're a manager and you're dealing with a director who's a couple of pay grades above you, but they know that you are a member of the the board. I mean, I served on the board. and was an employee and that fear that if they gave you bad feedback, it might come back to them was present. So I didn't always get the best feedback. And I think You know that can slow one's development and my favorite bosses were those who who were really clear and and said i don't really care who you are you're you're an employee of mine and this is what i expect of you and that was great i wore two hats at llb and i clearly knew at which time i was wearing what hat i always functioned as an employee at llb never as an owner but when i got into the boardroom that's when i switched hats and i tried to keep those those two roles very distinct
0: so I want to go back to the beginning, um, the Bean Boot, which is, of course, one of the most iconic products that your company has created and continues to endure. Tell us a little bit about how the Bean Boot came into being. I know there's a great story which involves a great <laughs> sure. grandfather.
1: Yeah, there is a great story. And, uh, you know, it's it's kind of built on our our kind of our values, the story really is what, what developed our values of uh, perseverance as the, as the most obvious one in this story. But LL was an avid outdoorsman. He spent a lot of time trekking around the Maine woods. But at the age of 40, I think he de- determined that he was just tired of coming home from these trips with cold and wet feet. Hmm. So he took um, you know, the benefits of a rubber boot, which keep your feet really dry, uh, and then the benefits of a leather boot, which fit very well, and combined them by combining that leather upper to the rubber bottom and he created the main hunting shoe. So he took a list of out of state Maine license Maine hunting license holders and sent a brochure to them touting this this great product and um also expressing uh, a total satisfaction guarantee. <laughs> and unfortunately for him, he um, about 90 of the first ones sold came back because the leather uppers separated from the rubber bottoms <laughs> and and <laughs> it nearly put him out of business. And this is where perseverance comes in and integrity and respect. Um, he was a man of his word, uh, but he was also determined and motivated to make sure that his product would function well. So he borrowed $400 from his brother. He perfected the stitching process, which we still use today, which is a triple stitch. And it's, it's, You'll see it throughout LLB and DNA and a lot of our products. And he resent out brochures and the rest is history. And that's where his his famous satisfaction guarantee came into place as well.
0: Yes, that's again legendary in your company, isn't it? He's also come up, or he came up with the golden rule, right? That defines your company. And the golden rule is sell good merchandise at a reasonable profit and treat your customers like human beings. And sometimes, that isn't always the case, right? Companies treating customers like human (laughs) beings. But what I wanted to ask you is, what makes customer service at LL Bean different and unique?
1: I think it's, again, the values. It's, It's our guiding principles. It's the way we treat people. It's understanding that we're a company that operates under a stakeholder model. So we have six stakeholders. We have our employees, our customers, our community, our vendors, our shareholders, and the natural environment. So when you think about it, we try to do things that don't uh, benefit any stakeholder at the expense of another. And the customer is number one at LLP. And very clearly and very early on, LL had that golden rule. And the end of that golden rule, if you treat them like human beings, they'll always come back for more. And that was his push. It was about building relationships with customers. And it's about treating people honestly and fairly. That's why his guarantee is so um, so memorable and so, and so iconic. And he wanted to ensure that anything you bought for him, from him was of high quality. And if it proved otherwise, bring it back. And we stand by that today. So I think that initial way he treated people and him expressing that golden rule. And then when my uncle Leon took over LL Bean in the mid 60s, LL really, uh, Leon took those rules that LL had established and he codified them into our, our guiding principles and our values. And he made sure that those permeated throughout the company. And My role as a steward of this company Mm -hmm. is to ensure that those same guiding principles, the way we do business, is carried on today and make sure that we shepherd that for future generations and they understand it. So we have a very clear guidebook, if you will, of how to treat customers. And it extends throughout the organization. It is really hard to go to L.L. Bean and find any employee who doesn't embrace our values and our guiding principles.
0: And one of the values you had, or one of the things that was unique about your company is this ability to tell your customers, if something goes wrong or you don't like it, bring it back. And this was available to them for a lifetime, right? They could bring it back any time, but you changed it to one year recently?
1: So that's correct. And what we did was we were finding that um, a lot of people were taking what LL stood for and took it to an extreme. Mm-hmm. where LL's, LL's um, guarantee was a satisfaction guarantee. I, I guarantee these products to give you complete satisfaction. Mm-hmm. We were finding some customers uh, who were bringing back materials that they never purchased. They went to Goodwill and found LL Bean products, or mm-hmm. they emptied out their grandfather's you know closet after he passed, and they would bring all this merchandise back, and ask for a return on it. And oftentimes we'd get customers who were returning a pair of slippers that was 20 years old, completely worn out. And to me, that would be the definition of satisfaction. Where are you gonna find a product? So it's your your expectation. So what we did is we had a lot of customer complaints uh, because people could see the abuse taking place in our retail stores and in in lines at retail stores where they're returning bags of goods and saying i know this impacts me because if you're taking all this back it's in your pricing that you have to to you know build this in so we made the change which was a very very difficult decision that took a lot of family input took a lot of management input and took a lot of communication with our customers to get their input and we created our satisfaction guarantee still exists the difference is you have one year to determine if you're not satisfied with that product. Mm-hmm. If after the first year that product fails for some mechanical defect or something that's wrong with the product, we will always stand by that product. And that continues to this day. So you can have a product that if you expected it to last longer or something went wrong and broke with it, we will look at that product and make the decision as to whether it's a manufacturer's defect and we'll we'll actually refund or replace the product for you. We had overwhelmingly positive response to this change from customers. I would say that 90% of the responses we got with regard to our change in policy were people ecstatic that they no longer had to witness people abusing our policy.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I think think one year is very generous for a turnaround time, you know, Normally, you get, what, 14 days or 28 days, so I think one (laughs) year is fairly fairly generous. You talked about how this was a collective decision taken by the family and also by management. You do have a president and CEO who's not a family member. How does that work? What's Uh, that relationship like?
1: Sure, it works really, really well. So, um, And why was it important to
0: have somebody who's not a family member?
1: Well, I think what's important is to find a leader that's best suited to running the company and one that all family branch members uh, could align behind. And when I became the chairman of the company back in 19, um, excuse me, back in 2013, um, I was running the company with with our, excuse me, I was the chairman of the company with our CEO who had been a long-term member of the Alabine company, but not a family member. We had an external CEO prior to our current CEO. As that gentleman left the company, Chris McCormick, we started a, a CEO search. And it was actually a wonderful gift for me because I had my thoughts on the nature of of the business and the culture of LL Bean, that I was trying to shift, and I was able, as the person hiring the CEO, to work with the family members and our independent board of directors to determine someone who best fulfilled those cultural needs of LL Bean and would be a great cultural fit, as long as have as, as well as having these great technical abilities, which we found in in Steve Smith.
0: When you talk about somebody who would make a great cultural fit. What's the first thing you're looking
1: for? Well, it depends on the culture you're looking for. So, so what is the culture I, I grew, that
0: defines LL Bean?
1: Right. right. I grew up at, at, at an LL Bean that was a very high control culture, a very analytic culture. And that served us well through the time when my uncle turned this business into what it is today, this globally recognized brand. The culture that I saw that LL Bean wanted, and the employees of LoBean wanted, and I wanted as an employee of LoBean, Bean, was one that was more transparent, one that was more collaborative, and one that was more empowering. So I was often doing work without fully understanding why I was doing the work. So it was like, here's what you should do, we've made the decision, do it. And now we do things, um, in a very different way. So the culture that I wanted was one with empathy. I don't think fear is a good motivator. (laughs) I think uh, one where we're empowered and we're tapping into that power of our employee base. I think that uh, a great saying that I heard from one of my employees is none of us is as smart as all of us, Mm -hmm. meaning that the collective thinking of a group generally gets much better outcomes. And understanding that there are multiple types of intelligence. People come at problems from many different ways. And as you do that, you come up with better solutions and better outcomes to problems. So we now are functioning in a very transparent world where we share our strategies, we develop our strategies with input from the employees. And then as we move forward with our our vision of being that leading outdoor brand for everyone, People understand our vision, they understand our mission, and what's most important is they understand our purpose. And as they understand our purpose and know that every decision we make should align with that purpose, they are then empowered to perform in their roles and we are seeing fabulous results.
0: Sean, your company is, what, 100 years old? A little over 100 years old?
1: Yeah, we just just celebrated our 110th anniversary in October.
0: 110 years old and the brand is as strong as ever. How do you stay relevant?
1: I think that the secret to staying relevant is to stay authentic. So as you think about LL Bean uh, as a brand, we are, again, we have our purpose, which is to enable and inspire people to discover the restorative power of being outside. We want to get people outside because we think it makes for a better lifestyle. LL talked about how time outdoors added quantity and quality to his life. He's got a great quote that said, hunting and fishing was the big lure that took me to the great outdoors and away from the mean and petty things in life. I think that's a wonderful quote. My uncle Leon talked about the physical and spiritual benefits of spending time outside. So that purpose is alive and well. And everything we do is fulfilling for that purpose, from the services we provide, to the way we treat people, the way we give to charitable to ensure that we have accessibility for everyone to participate in the outside, and in the products that we sell. And we stay true to that. So that authenticity is there. And I think if we started moving down paths where we were chasing fashion or chasing trends or doing something that was out of character with who we are, customers wouldn't accept that. Fortunately, we haven't done that. And I think that's the piece of staying relevant. It's staying authentic and knowing that you might be really hot one day and you might not be so hot the next day. Mm -hmm. But if you stay consistent and you stay true to yourselves, your customer will know what to expect from you. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.
0: I want to take you back. I think it was in 2018 when you spoke, when you gave the commencement address at your alma mater, the University of New Hampshire and you spoke to the graduating class and after a very funny first story about how you overslept at your own graduation (laughs) and barely (laughs) made it, you talked about life lessons, right? And you talked about um, these three small but powerful words and you said they've really helped you live an adventurous and fulfilling life. And these words are outdoors, which I understand, values that you've spoken about and balance. What do you mean by balance? And why did you pick that word?
1: Sure. Um, it's interesting. And I discovered this um, while I was at LLB. So balance is, is, when I refer to balance, I mean balance in one's life. Making sure you're balancing your work life with your family life and your personal self and ensuring that you're treating um, all of these equitably. And I will tell you that I got out of balance um, at LL Bean, out of the gate. I had a real strong desire to achieve. I was highly focused on my job and I spent a lot of time and energy focused on um, achieving more and graduating to different levels of, of responsibility within the company. What can happen there is a couple of things. You can lose the focus on family. And it's not like I wasn't focused on family. I have a wonderful family. Um, But there were things that I may have missed or things that um, I might have regretted not doing with my children more because I was putting my career first. And ultimately, I think that was for them so that I could achieve things and provide for them things that I wanted them to have, whether it was trips or gifts or whatever. But in reality, they probably just wanted time with their dad. Mm-hmm. And, and I think um, after my children were born, um, there were probably some spots where that wasn't, wasn't happening as much as it should. And that led to some personal imbalance of why am I not as satisfied in life as I, as I probably should be? And why am I not as happy as I should be? And um, interestingly enough, um, it was probably uh, a family vacation that helped me figure that out. And it was a family vacation outdoors to a national park where we were um, just struck by this beauty of this wonderful place the connections that I was making with my children were really powerful. And um, the, the most beautiful thing was we were all off of our devices. We were just present and enjoying each other in these moments. And that's where the outdoors comes in because the outdoors is where I, I find my balance. If I find myself in this hyper-competitive, hyper-stressed world, starting to race, mm-hmm. I like to go outside and actually see nature going about its business and understanding that there is a natural order and a natural pace to things that's very calming and very satisfying. And when I can spend time outdoors with my friends and family, what better way to make connections?
0: It's healing. Yeah, it is healing.
1: It is healing. It's it's, it's restorative.
0: Yes, absolutely. How old are your children?
1: I have a son who's 25 years old and I have twin daughters who are 22.
0: And are any of them going to join the family business?
1: That is to be determined. Right now, I have two daughters who they just graduated from Loyola Marymount in mm-hmm. um, Los Angeles, and mm-hmm. they are currently living in Los Angeles, pursuing writing careers. Oddly enough, all of my children are English majors, just like their dad. Really? <laughs> yeah. So, um, but they are again wildly. Um, Intelligent and creative and, and really good human beings, all of them. The girls are, are currently writing for a couple of publications out there, which is great, but they're both pursuing um, uh, careers in acting. They, they went to a, a film school with, with that, uh, that hope. They have landed, as I'm proud to say, a couple of different parts, and that has been fun to watch.
0: Fabulous. And my,
1: my son lives here in, in Maine, and he's pursuing a career in uh, as a, as an organic farmer, which is really mm-hmm. kind of fun to watch. And um, I'm not sure what his future holds, but he is um, he's done internships at LL Bean, working in our outdoor discovery schools, and also um, in our IT department. He was uh, he was a computer science major at at Wake Forest before he changed over to um, to an English major, and so. He's, he's spent some time in IT and he enjoys that. So it's here for them should they want it. But as I said earlier, I think I'd really encourage them to pursue their own careers, kind of find that self-actualization on their own and not, not have the weight of a brand or a family connection ever interfering with how they feel about themselves and how they're achieving.
0: Or the, Or, the dreams that they want to pursue? Oh,
1: absolutely. the dreams they want to pursue, especially.
0: You talked about creativity early on in this podcast, and I put a star next to that word. Like you said, you know, you do have a creative side. You had uh, your own dreams for taking you to Madison Avenue. How do you fulfill that creative side now?
1: Sure. Well, the nice thing about my career at Bean is i've I've always worked in in marketing at L.L. Bean. And my last operational role prior to becoming the chairman was the senior vice president of brand at L.L. Bean. So I had a lot of great opportunity to express my creative side there, working with a whole creative team that was responsible for web content, catalog content, marketing content, and advertising, and, and also brand engagement opportunities. And my belief is that when I I mentioned earlier that LLB was a highly analytical company, Um, maybe we as a company with our marketing was a bit out of balance. We always had to measure the ROI on something and if you couldn't measure it, we wouldn't do it. So you sent a catalog out, it got this many orders and you associated these conversion rates with that and we tried to always improve those. My belief is that we needed um, more art to go with the science and Let's inject some brand and make connections with people that are more powerful. And that's why we really doubled down on purpose. Let's make connections to remind people that we're a company that's about connecting people with the outdoors because we believe in those restorative benefits of being outside. And as we've done that through um, social media marketing, our our relationships with, with other organizations, um, whether it's you know, partnerships we've done with with research institutes like Dr. Paul Piff at at UC Irvine, who did this great study on the benefits of spending time outdoors and how it impacts our connections with people and our and our feeling of wellness. Bringing those stories to life and bringing the the true meaning of ll being out there and connecting with people um, is a great way to express creativity. And, and express this brand in a, in a beautiful way that's not so analytic. And I think we've done a, a great job with that. So I continue to focus on purpose here at L.L. Bean, and that's my big goal, and I love talking about it. And I think there are great ways that when I go and I talk to our creative department about purpose, they fully understand what we want to do. And when we talk about being more accessible and, and being the outdoor brand for everyone. You'll now see that in our catalog representation. You'll see it in how we're marketing. You'll see it in how we're um, giving it. Like adaptive outdoors, which help differently abled people experience time outside. They're all wonderful things, but it's a great way to share creativity.
0: You're passionate about the outdoors. How is your business adapting to a planet that's heating up?
1: It's really interesting. Um, Our philosophy at L.L. Bean is about getting people outside to enjoy the outdoors, right? And to discover that restorative power of being outside. If we don't have an outside to go to, obviously that's a very difficult place for us to be. Our thoughts with regard to the environment are, we think, that the more people we can connect to the outdoors, we are creating better stewards of the outdoors. So again, this, this idea of getting people outside to for their own personal wellness benefits is also super beneficial to that other stakeholder of ours, which is the natural environment, because these people then in turn become better, better stewards of the environment. And that's our big push.
0: What about it from a business point of view? What are you doing to make supply chains more sustainable, for example? And I mean, the truth is that whenever you're thinking about clothes or shoes, apparel, you know, it is a polluting industry. So what are you doing to make sure that the company is doing its bit to fight climate change to become more sustainable?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is a, a big push. So. We've been focused on this for years and, and it's, um, we, uh, we don't talk about it as loudly as, as some of our competitors might talk about it because we don't, a, we don't think it's a marketing campaign. We just think it's the right thing to do. It's, it's aligned with our values, but the outdoors as one of, our, uh, one of our stakeholders is critical. And we've always been working with vendors and our partners to find better ways of manufacturing goods using more recycled goods, using sustainable down, using recycled nylon and products, looking at ways that we can lessen the impact of manufacturing on the environment. And we've made great strides. In addition to what we've done on the product side, working with our vendors, internally, we have moved to uh, a world where we're down to about 95% of of our waste products. are not impacting the environment. We are, we are getting to this really low uh, carbon footprint, if you will. And we, if you look at 80% of our power usage at L.L. Bean, we are getting that from sustainable sources. So we have moved to um, a collective uh, with a solar company within the state of Maine, and that's driving about 80% of our electrical demand needs. We also have a chief sustainability officer at LLB, which is really critical, who oversees this. And we make sure that we bring our sustainability uh, updates through our social impact updates that have happened every quarter at our quarterly meetings of the board, where we get a report card on how well we're meeting the goals that we've set for ourselves. And we've been doing this for a long time.
0: I know that I've never spent as much time outdoors as I did during the pandemic. And I think that's true for a lot of people around the world, right? We gave us the opportunity to reconnect uh, with nature. What did the pandemic do for your business? And what are some of the lessons you learned during the pandemic? Are some of the learnings that you want to hold on to?
1: Sure, that's a great question. Um the pandemic for everyone was just a a game changer. So if you asked me in March of 2020, what I was thinking, I was probably thinking of, I wonder what my next career is going to be because, you know, I I really wondered how people were going to make it through uh, as we're shutting down retail and how things would have, you know, how this pandemic would affect the world fairly quickly after probably by May, we started seeing some interesting changes. So as people were staying home, we started seeing sales increases in sleepwear, in (laughs) cozy, cozy, comfortable. Our slippers were selling like it was Christmas time. And it was just because more people were home and they could do their work um, in their own environment and didn't need to, to dress up. Post May, when people started realizing that hey, the best place to be is outside, we started to see our outdoor goods and gear and more active apparel and clothing start to sell, and it was amazing. I mean, the the numbers were significant. So this fear we had of of, of losing sales was was unwarranted, and all of a sudden we started seeing that we were well positioned to fulfill the needs of many of our customers who were rediscovering the outdoors. Mm-hmm. And it was a beautiful thing and that's carried through. So if you look at some of the outdoor industry association numbers, camping was up 30%. Fishing was up almost, you know, also double digits and all these outdoor activities, people were re-engaging and rediscovering the outdoors. And it was wonderful. And that was people just walking around their neighborhoods. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I started seeing kids in my neighborhood ride bikes again. And I hadn't seen anyone ride bicycles in years. <laughs> there was this really wonderful impact so there's this beautiful impact of the pandemic where people rediscovered um, the power of the outside and i actually think that probably helped a lot of people deal with some of the anxiety that the pandemic created this time outside helped them find balance and i think that's why we push to look at the restorative power of being outside and as we move into a post-pandemic world I would say that I'm not sure it's a lesson learned, but it's a lesson that I want to keep going is that we all, as as humans, probably learned that we always intuitively knew that time outside was good for us. But as things return to normal or to to kind of a, a new normal, as people start moving back to the office, as people start picking up the pace in their life, I hope people remember that you need to find that balance. And if they don't remember, uh, it's our job at L.L. Bean as a company that's all about helping people to find that restorative power of being outside to remind them of it. So you will see lots lots of marketing material, lots of social media kind of touting the benefits of time outdoors because I want to make sure that people are spending time outside because it is the right thing and it's good for us. And again, makes us better stewards of the environment.
0: Sean, this podcast is called Out of Office. I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. What's your favorite thing to do when you're not in the office?
1: Wow, I have a lot of really interesting outdoor pursuits, which I'm, I'm sure you can imagine, and it changes seasonally. But I will say that whatever I'm doing outside of the office, when I do it with friends and family or my dog, those are always the best things to do. And whether it's mountain biking or boating or skiing, um, doing it with friends and family makes it so much better and helps build these really beautiful connections. Sean, thank you
0: so much for joining me on Out of Office.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: That was Sean Gorman, chairman of LL Bean, on this week's Out of Office. I hope you enjoyed the chat. I did, and I went out for a walk in Regent's Park the very next morning. He's certainly right about the restorative power of the outdoors. This episode was produced by Yang Yang. I'm Malika Kapoor. I hope you stay well and manage to get some time outside. As always, thank you for listening.